This is The Sport Chronicle. I'm Simon Bushell. And I'm Devane Desai. I think we've all used the phrase, I'd love to be there when. This week on The Sport Chronicle, we list off a few events in sport that we really want to be at. This was your idea, Devang. I feel like you have some things that you want to talk about. You want to get off your chest when it comes to events that you want to go to. It's true. It's true. I have to give uh, credit to Arun, uh, host of the No Cap Pod, who fed this idea to me as we were watching Arsenal and Bournemouth play last week. Um, We talk about bucket lists in sports all the time. We've talked about on this show, Bush, before about what we would like to see live if we were so lucky. So I think it made sense to do... Uh, an episode featuring that and featuring a bunch of events that are going to happen this year as well. So it's not like we're looking down the road 10 years or a bunch of extreme hypotheticals. A lot of these on the list, both yours and mine, could potentially happen. So I think it's a it's a good good episode for a March day. It is, yeah. With a kind of middle-of-the-road sporting month of not a great deal of things happening. Was Arsenal-Bournemouth on your list? Did it make the list? <laughs> Ironically, that was the fixture I went to live last year at the Emirates. So, no, I've done that. Uh, <laughs> that, that was off the bucket yeah. list. Yeah, it was always there. It was always on the list. But, uh, no, I think <laughs> El Clasico was on in the background at the place you're watching it at. And that's definitely one of those that you could definitely see on the list. I mean, it seems like they're playing each other, Real Madrid and Barcelona quite frequently the last couple of weeks, but uh, that was kind of what drew our eye and, and made that conversation start. And uh, I know you have, you have some interesting choices on your list as well. So maybe we'll start with you, Bush. Alrighty. If uh, things British people say, the Twitter handle usually refers to interesting as being terrible. Like that's the translation for British <laughs> language, but I'll, uh, I'll choose to bypass over that and believe you meant it in a sincere way. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Let's kick things off. And I guess a caveat on this one, it's events that we would like to go to. I, so I did it events that I would like to go to and see that I think are actually possible down the line. Things that I mean, maybe it's a a little bit of a stretch to imagine seeing it happening, but things that if it did, I just could not be away from. I think it would be too fun. Did you kind of net out of that as well? Yeah, I think there's only one on my list that's probably a little pie in the sky. But uh, for the most part, yeah, things that I I definitely could see happening um, in the next few weeks and months. Well, I'll kick it off. The Women's World Cup in France this coming year in 2019. And I think longtime listeners to the show will know that I hold two passports now a British passport and a Canadian passport. I was lucky enough to see England play Canada in Vancouver when they were here uh, during the last Women's World Cup. My hope is that I get to see a final between the two of them. My allegiances would be torn. It would be a very interesting watch for me, but it is possible. Both of these sides are pretty good. I think there's some other very, very good sides in the world who have a very strong claim to make the final at the World Cup this year, but England-Canada would be an event I would really, really like to see. Would you renounce your citizenship of the losing team? Well, yeah, like some sort of WWE uh, <laughs> yeah. stipulation for what's going to happen during the match. On the scoreboard in the stadium, <laughs> it's just a, it's a live shot of you reacting to every moment in the game. I think that'd be interesting. Could we do some sort of um, citizenship on a pole match? Exactly. Or, <laughs> or some sort of ladder match where <laughs> the passport was hanging above the high above the Champs-Élysées <laughs> or something like that? Uh, no, it's a great choice. Uh, I will actually, I'll, I'll use my Women's World Cup choice now as well then, and it's USA-Canada. And this is mostly due to spite. I think uh, <laughs> a lot of Canadian soccer fans still have some tough memories of that semifinal in London at the Olympics in 2012. So I would love to see a rematch between the USA and Canada. I mean, the USA has had 
Canada's number quite handily the last few years. That match in 2012, probably the closest they've they've they played each other. The USA again, a juggernaut as always, usually. And Canada in a bit of an interesting spot with a, a bit of a a changing of the guard. I think this will definitely be Christine St. Clair's last major international competition. And you have a lot of good young players like Jesse Fleming coming up and, and Kadishi Buchanan becoming more of a leader on the squad as well and, and Ashley Lawrence. So I would like to get some revenge against the United States and France. That being said, I think Canada's group is quite tough. The Dutch are in there as well. So it'll be interesting. I think the USA have to be favorites as always, but uh, it seems like Jill Ellis, their coach, is also ushering a new generation of players in some positions that might not be good exactly in 2019. So we'll see how they do. It could be uh, a, maybe a non a non-traditional power, if that makes sense. Maybe not United States or Japan's, but maybe uh, 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 Netherlands or another European nation. Or maybe even France. I mean, France yeah. have their own claim to do well at this home at the home tournament. So we'll see what happens. And we've spoken about it at length on this podcast about our desire to go to the the tournament. I think after seeing it here in 2015, I was I was certainly taken by it as an event. It was it was very fun to be around. Um, I would to say the USA fans were very good. They were, I mean, as kind of obnoxious, well, portrayed as obnoxious to uh, to certain people. Um, I'm hedging my bets there on trying to Just not implicate myself. The general world population is that certain people? <laughs> is that? Uh, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> let's go with that. No, they were fun. They were fun to be around. It was it was very loud, very boisterous. There was lots of lots of cheering and and uh, all the sorts of things you would expect from a United States of America crowd especially in Vancouver. So it was, uh, it's not too far away. I can almost see it from my, I can see the mountains from my balcony. So <laughs> it's within sight. Let's go to the next event. And it's also very close to the Women's World Cup. Also in Europe, this time England, and it's the Cricket World Cup. Uh, Bush, I think we both picked one that is, um, even before the events of the last few weeks, definitely would have been circled as a marquee matchup. But certainly with the geopolitical events going on in Kashmir and and two nuclear-armed nations nearly coming to the brink of war once again. An India-Pakistan World Cup final would be something. Um, we've, I've talked on this show before about how sports sometimes is bigger than just sport, and it it's, has the ability to bring people together. Uh, that might be wishing maybe a little bit. This might be a case of wishful thinking in the, in the most extreme, but it seems like tensions have eased a bit. Um, it's funny though. I mean, Imran Khan, a famous cricketer, is the prime minister of Pakistan now, and possibly if they met in the final, we'd see a moment like there was a couple, almost ten years ago, I believe, when both heads of states uh, joined together to watch a cricket match in Pakistan as well. So, who knows? I think I'm as, as we've come to learn, um, or I, especially I've been to India many times, and I think I've been there at. Times of strife as well with Pakistan. I remember 2000, the Red Ford attack, and and seeing like they were close to war again, and tensions are very high. And I've been there when there had been no tensions at all, and it's totally fine. No one's talking about it, but I think this year it's it's obviously a major talking point in both countries. Yeah, and I think to maybe some North American listeners who don't quite understand the importance of what that sport is to both of those nations, a chance for that to happen potentially at the home of cricket in Lords would be a very, very interesting scenario. Um, It'd be perfectly fitting that this would happen in England, a place or the people who uh, just so wonderfully 
decided on partition and what happened in India and what happened in Kashmir and the way everything is divided and the massive loss of life that happened after independence was gained. It'd be all very so apt if it was there as well. Yeah, and it's 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 one of those things that sport really can be a vehicle for wider society or wider things that are going on in the world. And I think you perfectly summarize that in terms of what this match could mean, especially during that period of time. Two nations which are so, so in love with the sport Maybe it has a uniting effect. I mean, that's the thing that we can hope for, right? It has, I mean, it has all the potential to be divisive as well. But yeah. hopefully there's a, an opportunity to at least find some common ground in at least the three hours that it would happen. And I think like, I, it's, this is definitely a product of the people I follow online or on social media and the news outlets I read. But I think on both sides, both sides of the fence here in Pakistan and India, I think the, the, the moderates and, and the people who do not want to see conflict were looking for ways to to ease tensions and and make sure that we don't have a horrible situation with with war possibly starting so that was comforting to see and it's it's happened before where cricket has been a, a unifying factor for for these two countries and like you said it's such a massive part of life in that part of the world so it'd be it'd be nice to see but again who knows plenty could happen in between now and then It could indeed. I mean, speaking potentially to, to segue slightly as well, I would say that England versus India would, in a World Cup final would also be just a terrific event. I mean, politics excluded from it and everything else. But I think those two nations, they're ranked number one and two in the world when it comes to ODIs. They certainly are the best two nations in the world or have been over the last few years. Um, obviously, a massive Indian contingent uh, would would make the trek or would, would uh, go to a match like that. And it would just be incredible. The, the atmosphere anytime those two nations play each other in England or in India is is phenomenal. Um, and just to ratchet that up, to have it in a World Cup final as well would be would be truly, truly special. And I think if, he, if uh, the, not the goal, but to get some people who weren't exactly crooked fans to tune in, ODIs are perfect for that. I think the, the time length for these matches is not extreme. It's not test cricket. So definitely maybe capture the attention of the wider sporting world as well. And you would say, given all the storylines which go into this World Cup, this one has the potential to actually capture some news and some outlets that usually wouldn't cover an event like this. I think it has the ramifications of even the nations that we've listed off here of something more, um, something more, what's the right word I'm searching for? Something more interesting, I suppose, to the the general public outside of non-cricketing nations. For sure. I think we've both used the word interesting 400 times so far, <laughs> so we are on track. Goes control T, goes to <laughs> thesaurus, enters in interesting. We've banned it. We uh, <laughs> There's no more going with those words anymore. We'll, we'll do better. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll switch it up a bit. Uh, we'll go to North America. And my next one, this was the bit of the pie in the sky one, in which I don't know really if this is possible this year, but... I would love to see a Montreal Canadiens Toronto Maple Leafs playoff series. I think this rivalry has been uh, has suffered mostly because the Leafs were quite quite bad uh, for the last ten years or so, up until the Austin Matthews draft and that the renaissance of this franchise. But the, the Habs have been around; they've been good. They've had some great battles with the Bruins, but this year they were not expected to be a playoff team. But they performed over their heads and. With Boston and Tampa Bay basically running away with the first two spots in the Atlantic, it seems unlikely that 
the Leafs and Habs could play in the playoffs this year. I mean, stranger things have happened, but in terms of what we've seen this year in the regular season and the the just the bats that are going between the bench and the just the hatred you can see and. I think it would just be wonderful to have that playoff series and that rivalry really hit center stage with everything on the line. With a minute 50 seconds to go in the third period, Zach Hyman makes the score 4 3 Toronto. I think things get read too much into the NHL and the NBA in March. A lot of teams just don't care. Um, at this point, they've either been locked into playoff position or they've just resting or teams are out of it. I think that game, whatever it was last weekend between the Habs and the Leafs, was very entertaining. It was, uh, it was a very, very entertaining watch because you could not claim that those two teams did not care about that game. And I think if that actually came to be a playoff series at any... I mean, I suspect it will at some point in the next few years. It just has to be. Uh, just given the trajectory of both of those teams, it will be very exciting. And it will certainly capture the attention of Eastern Canada. I suspect Western Canada will not give a shit, but <laughs> that's my... Well, uh, <laughs> well, as a counter, I don't know if you watched the game in Calgary the other night, Mr. Simon Bushel, but it seemed to be more Leaf fans than Flames fans there. And I expect you'll see plenty of blue shirts in the crowd in Edmonton and Vancouver this week when the Leafs complete their Western tours. So I disagree. I disagree. I think this will capture the attention of Canada and they will be fed down Western Canada's throat, whether they like it or not, <laughs> by the CBC and Sportsnet. So you will love yourself. it. You will learn yourself. to love it. <laughs> it's not our fault Connor McDavid can't make the damn playoffs. <laughs> Maybe he will. Maybe he will. <laughs> I mean, as we're recording, then what? Six points. I and McDavid single handedly. I was looking at the stats standings the other day. Is there ever been a situation where a team has had two players in the top five of scoring in the league not make the playoffs? How is this I, possible? I, I, I also <laughs> researched this. I don't think it's ever happened. I don't believe it's ever happened in the NHL. I saw Land McDavid having career years. Well, not career years for McDavid, but just fantastic years. And yet, it's incredible. Leon Draisaitl is playing out of his mind at the moment. He is extremely good. He's making the game look very, very easy, which is... a. Uh, Far cry from the people who were, you know, decrying his contract when he signed it. It seems right. uh, almost laughable at this point now. It seems cheap, really, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I see you've got the Olympics on here. Do you want to go specific? Yeah, so I think anyone who's listened to this podcast or knows me personally knows how important the Olympics are to me. I I, I still hold out hope to to cover an Olympics at some point. I've never actually been to one. I've been in two cities that have been host cities for Olympics, but I've missed them for differing reasons of being on the in the other place. So um, either missing out from London in 2012 by being in Vancouver or missing out in Vancouver by being in London. It just <laughs> it didn't quite work out for me. So I've never actually been to an Olympic Games. And just given my overall love of sport, I just really badly want to go to one and I want to experience the two-week period and, and be around the city um, and just be around the atmosphere of what it's like. It's, it's one of the very few sporting... Uh, occasions where you can actually get behind sports that you wouldn't normally watch. I mean, I think between the two of us, we will watch just about anything. That's yeah, that's probably yeah, that's, that's probably fair. I was I was reading about this bridge story that happened this morning <laughs> that the BBC reported on that someone the bridge champion was banned for doping, and it made me go down a rabbit hole of trying to understand was it what the hell was going on? Like, was, what? It, was it Adderall? What was the? No, it wasn't Adderall. If it was that, I would understand it. But <laughs> oh, it was on some pure HGH. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just 
just Jack Patel uh, networking <laughs> dominating the psyche of your opponent with your incredible jackness there. I guess I don't know. <laughs> is what happens like when like the person just flips the table over when they lose <laughs> or when they win. This is an intimidation. He's done it again. He's <laughs> and he ends with his signature table flip. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just like some sort of maybe it is another WWE scenario where you have to suspend the pack of cards above the table. Right. There is uh, um, you could do worse than going to Tokyo as well for that long. So I think that'd be very very fun. I think so. Yeah, and I. I I mean, the Sport Chronicle will still be going, hopefully, at that point. So we could uh, maybe figure out a way of heading over there and, and trying to take in a few events like that. It would be very, very fun. Well said. Well, shocker. Um, we're probably going to end on tennis, I think. Yeah, I don't think we have anything else, do we? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you have, I think well, we can start with this one, but I think, for many reasons, and I think also just because of how it ended last year at the U.S. Open, that final, I would love to see Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams do it again at Flushing Meadows and and really replace that bad moment with something better, if that makes sense. I cannot wait for this final to happen. I'm, I'm fairly sure it's going to happen. That's, the, uh, that's some solace we can take. I think they are near enough... That- certainly both in the top five in the world. I mean, almost literally at this point due to the rankings, it should be incredible. And both will be incredibly motivated to get back to that stage. I think Um, you just look at the narratives. I mean, obviously similar narratives that were going in to last year in terms of Serena trying to get that one extra grand slam for for infamy and and a record place. Osaka, we'll see what happens. There's, there's a possibility if you if you really want to get fully like tin foil hat on this one that she could be going in off the back of three grand slams in a row. Like it's 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 not beyond the realms of inconceivable. It's very unlikely, of course, and right. I, I, I will caveat that. But I think not, not there's not a it it could happen, right? There's I can't think of anyone certainly on the women's side who I could give more of a chance of just like blitzing through the next two grand slams and getting getting to the year end and having the possibility of winning all four. Maybe a few weeks ago, I might have agree- agreed with you there. I think right at the end of the Australian Open, I definitely would have. But I mean, the events the past few weeks, um, Osaka parting ways with Sasha Bajin, her coach, who they had so much success with. I think that was very, that, that took uh, observers aback uh, quite considerably. I'm still not sure what the entire story was there and what truly went down uh, between between them. But I was looking at the draw for Indian Wells and the women's side, and I think the depth of the WTA is better than it's ever been, at least in the last 20 years. It's pretty remarkable when you see the lames in that loaded draw and and the amount of young and -and up-and-comers there are. So I don't know whether or not Osaka could replicate that success in Australia at the French Open or at Wimbledon, but, I mean, hard courts, I have have a very hard time doubting her, and I think Serena is always going to be in the conversation. But again... I think my prediction at the beginning of this year was that this would be it for Serena uh, as a competitor on the tour. So again, a way to end this out uh, against the next one, quote unquote, would be something else. Would you bet against Serena winning the French? Like uh, at this point, like she's just so, so close to that marker that you got to think that she's going to be going into every single tournament wanting to win it. I mean, the, Fre- the French though is that you'll see a random result with Serena sometimes, right? Like, uh, You've seen her fall to people you wouldn't expect. But yeah, I mean, it's a fool's errand betting against her anywhere, basically. But I think the French is the one where I feel the least confident about when it comes to Serena. 
Should we get into Federer and Nadal? Yeah, I have, yeah. I, I have Fed Nadal at the French, and it looks like you have Fed Nadal at the U.S. Open. So, so you want to see might... you want to see Rogers' face get kicked in again at the French Open in this final? Or... <laughs> yeah, it's very. Uh, it, I the narrative and everything. It just it makes so much sense to to want to see this again. I think it's one of those that the the heart wants to see it and the head really doesn't at some point like on the basis that it's gonna be just embarrassing um to see it. but i do you remember a, a few months ago uh maybe about a year ago actually i made the point to you that i thought that roger federer was the second best clay court player of all time you did yes you did i don't think that's I mean, wrong i don't think that's wrong he just no one ever speaks about him that way it's like how many look at his record against nadal on clay okay it's not great but he's still got like five wins against him yeah. in finals. Like it's absurd. Like again, in Madrid and Monte Carlo, the guy can beat him. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very glad he decided to play this clay swing this year. If this is, if we're getting closer to the end, because I think it might remind people just how well he moves on that surface and how good he is. And just, it, it, he was the, he's the product of being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Like so many other players, when they talk about Federer, I mean, Nadal's the greatest clay quarter of all time. And he just was there at the worst time. And if Nadal wasn't around much like in 2009, when he did get his, he did win. Right. So I think you're definitely right on that. I picked the U.S. Open because I, they haven't played there. It would be a nice end again if we're talking about ways to end this all or if Federer decide to hang it up after this year, which I don't. I, I think it is doubtful. I think he will play the Olympics in Tokyo. But get that U.S. Open match under their belt. Like Fed's chances a bit better on the, on the hard courts of the U.S. Open as well. Uh, I mean, who are we kidding? But I also think it might be the only final where we don't have Novak Djokovic in it to, to make this possible, which I think is the other elephant in the room. Yeah, the other elephant in the room being the fact that he might also win four grand <laughs> Yeah, it's entirely possible. Yeah, let's say they all end up tied on 20. I think that 100 title mark from Fred is going to end up looming in port when we talk about the GOAT conversation. He's been in 158 finals. <laughs> 158. It's astonishing. It's, uh, it's great. It's great. Legend. All right. Well, I got one more, and it's a bit off the... It, it's uh, Gerard Piquet's wonderful tournament that he's created with his totally non-corrupt friends. It's the New Davis Cup, and the final is in Madrid of the Kajimajika tournament I've been to before. But I want to go to this because I love those grounds. It's amazing. It's uh, it's really picturesque, and the atmosphere is fantastic. But also, I just want to see how this tournament is going to end up working out. And as someone with Canadian interests... Uh, I want to see these kids play there and play against some of the bigger guns and see Chapo and, and FAA compete for glory because I think the next generation is going to be a big a big part of it is going to be Canadian dominance. I think you're looking at Ajayasiem, uh, like it's 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 remarkable to see what he's doing at 18 years old and Chapo is still 19. So we'd love to see them make some noise in Madrid. I think Ajayasiem has proved over the last three weeks to a month that he is going to be a really special clay court player like a very very talented clay court player for a very long time it's not just the athleticism it's his actual desire to win and play aggressive tennis and win points so i would agree with you the future of canadian tennis looks absolutely bright i mean bianca how, how, as well right we talked about yeah i mean yeah. that's the thing right you you have three players who are under the age of 20 who are going to be right at the top of the game for a for a very long time for the next decade and a bit so if you are a Canadian fan of tennis, then you are going to be very, very spoiled, I think. Turns it's out, a far cry day from, yeah. you know, 
Daniel Ness. Oh, Daniel Ness is one of the all-time greatest. Oh, Frank, I mean, like Frank Dancevic and, and exactly, yeah. Peter Polanski and these guys who have no fault of those. Those guys are grinders, journeymen. We saw them in Vancouver. We saw Peter Polanski in Vancouver. And they've carved out a very nice career for themselves. But these these kids are looking at stardom. Um, Monday, the Tennis Canada building that clay court in Montreal, man. Wait, in, in hindsight, what a great decision that was because I think that's a big reason why FAA, FAA is so comfortable on that surface. He's played on it so much, so... Excellent to see. Also, shout out to Nick Kyrgios. Just a complete shithousery masterclass in Mexico last week. Just roughing up Nadal, making him feel like garbage. Somehow, I think he barely won more won more points than he lost at his <laughs> title. So just a classic Nick Kyrgios week. Love to see it. He, you remember the, the podcast that we did where he said who was going to be the next breakthrough and the next gen who's going to win a grand yeah. slam. He's 23 years old, right? <laughs> He's 23 years old. Like one of us should have picked him. Like, no way. I, can you I could not could you, trust could... this man over two weeks? Though he doesn't trust himself over two weeks. Yeah, but I would, I would, I would count on the point with I don't trust him over two weeks. However, can you tell me of another player in the world who has the ability to beat Federer and Nadal and Djokovic in a row? No, I, exactly. He basically, needs, basically, he can. He needs the hardest draw possible. I think that's what this is. <laughs> Make it very, very difficult, and maybe he he'll only gets up. Like put Leighton Hugh up in that in that first round because he seems to hate him as well. So <laughs> <laughs> just anyone that's in, in his vicinity. Oh, that'd be great. We will have our first episode of our tennis podcast, which uh, is named Open Era. So we are revealing it now. Um, Probably this week, right? Look out for it. We should have a recording of it. Right, we got the the what's this called again? The uh, the swing, something swing in March, Indian Wells, Miami. I can't remember the actual name. Golden swing? No, that was sunshine swing. Is that yes, what it's called? Yes, I think that is it. Okay, the golden swing just happened. That was the uh, the South American tour. But yeah, I mean, it, it gets uh, it, we heat up because from right here on into basically the summer, it's a lot of tennis and a lot of the biggest events. So it should be fun. I am looking forward to it. Devang, your mission is to try and get us a guest for episode one, or at least someone yes, they yes. can talk about. I will, uh, I, will, I will check my Rolodex. I mean, I can get us a guest as well. It might not be as high profile. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll ping Martina and Aratulova again one more time. We'll see if... Uh... Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> our, her people will contact our people. That's how it will work. <laughs> you can follow us, Sport Chronicle, um, on... Uh, Twitter, the Sport Cron. You can follow Devang, Decide Devang, I believe. Yes, sir. Email us at sportchronicle.gmail.com and visit thesportchronicle.com. As I said, look out for our uh, tennis podcast when it launches. I'm going to say this week. We're going to commit to it. We're going to yeah. try and get it done this Got week. It. Have a good week, Devang. I will talk to you soon. Goodbye, everyone else. Have a good week. <laughs>